Hello, hello, and welcome or welcome back to the Live Label Free Podcast. Today, I am joined by Lex, a former client and extreme hunger course student turned best friend. Lex is a trans autistic individual that is passionate about breaking the stigmas and advocating for the rights of misunderstood and marginalized communities. We discuss so much in this episode, including what it was like for Lex growing up undiagnosed autistic and in a body that didn't feel like their home, how this contributed to the development of an eating disorder, Lex's experience with extreme hunger, and of course, how they fully recovered from an eating disorder. I am so excited for you to listen and learn from my conversation with Lex, so let's dive right in. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting one foot in front of the other. Welcome, Lex. I'm so excited to have you on the Live Label Free podcast. How are you feeling about being on the podcast? Uh, I'm feeling great. I'm really excited. And I know you and me can probably talk for hours and hours. So it's going to be hard to like rein us in. But um, yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you for having me on as well. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm just so excited also for our listeners to hear your story and just everything you're going to share. Because as we were talking about before I pressed record was there's a lot of like overlap, I guess, between neurodiversity and then eating disorders and neurodiversity and then the LGBTQ community and then eating disorders and the LGBTQ (laughs) community. But I feel like there's not much information like connecting the triangle, as I like to call it, Um, because I'm very visual. So I almost imagine it as like a triangular Venn diagram. Um, So yeah, I'm just really, really excited um, for you to share um, and and empower listeners and give, you know, other people that are dealing with similar stories, hope um, and empowerment that they too, you know, can live a life of freedom, um, because that's what Live Label Free is all about. Um, so yeah, starting off, can you kind of start off by sharing who you are and what your story is? Well, uh, hi, my name's Lex. And so yeah, a bit of my background. So I've always, I think I've always sort of had distorted eating my whole mm-hmm. life. <clears throat> and I never knew what it was until like my 30s, really. Yeah. And I wasn't diagnosed with autism until I was the age of 30 as well Mm -hmm. and so growing up a lot of my identity was really confusing um and again I didn't know I was trans non-binary until my 30s so everything came really late in life for me so everything sort of before that was a bit of a mess (laughs) and uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind and all those 
all those sorts of feelings inside me I knew growing up I always felt different I never felt I could do as well as like my siblings and my friends at school I never did as well as them and always felt like I was copying them and just like masking and trying to be like they were and I didn't know who I was at all but I always felt this detachment from everything and always feeling like I was watching everything outside of myself watching it sort of happen to me and one thing massively being was yeah my relationship with food throughout my life has always been very distorted and then as I got into my late 20s early 30s it became quite a severe eating disorder mm-hmm. um and that's yeah that's just something I think I've actually struggled with my whole life and being autistic and part of the LGBTQA plus community has contributed to that in so many different ways yeah. and so many layered ways um like with being autistic I have sensory issues I have rituals and that comes into having an eating disorder being able to control food and touching certain textures around food and and also not being able to know when I'm hungry or when I'm thirsty or when I need the toilet and then at the last minute being like oh my body needs this now so I need food now and um and also again feeling isolated and out of control so much of my life before I was diagnosed and found like my identity I wanted something to control and one thing I could do was with food and that was something that I could kind of hide away from people didn't really have to didn't change that much of my life really until it got quite severe later on but that was something yeah I could control pretty much yeah yeah that that word control I mean it Mm -hmm. it always comes up again for a reason and I think the whole concept of you know people developing eating disorders and eating disorders just being so incredibly common, especially when you're part of marginalized communities and you have to Mm. pretend to be someone you're not in order to, you know, fit in or at least believe that you're fitting in. Um, It's, I feel like it's such a no brainer because I mean, there's so many different forms of, you know, coping and addiction, but I think especially I know for you, like, you were a bit older than I was um, when I developed my eating disorder. Um, but I feel like food and exercise, they're such easy coping mechanisms or easy things to control for, for mm-hmm. anyone of any age. Whereas, like, other addictions, you know, I I couldn't go light some cigarettes when I was 11, year old, mm-hmm. 11 years old or, you know, go buy some alcohol. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I think, like you said, again, that, that control piece, it's... It's something we all have to do every single day is eat and move. So if you feel so lost in your life, you don't know who you are. You yeah. feel like if you show who you are, you're going to be judged in a certain way. You're obviously going to turn to something for safety and for comfort. And and then that becomes your, your default coping mechanisms for unsafe times. And, you know, like I said, when you are part of several marginalized communities you are constantly feeling unsafe right you are constantly feeling threatened um so yeah i just believe it makes total sense for people to then seek solace like in food and exercise um so yeah kind of all that being said um how do you believe being trans and autistic um contributed to your eating disorder i think it's hard there's obviously not one thing i can like pinpoint out of of it of course you know i'm still like learning still stuff now and recognizing things and looking back at my past and being like wow that's a huge red flag like how did I never how did no one see that how did I not obviously not recognize that I didn't have the language for anything you know I was extremely high masking throughout a lot of my life and that's still something I'm trying to sort of unlearn now but yeah it taps in again to 
you know, having that sort of structure and routine around foods and that's the autistic sort of traits. Like I'm very much someone who loves structure and routine, wants to know mm-hmm. exactly what I'm doing and things like that. Right. And yeah, having, you know, sensory issues around food. I never once thought growing up that I had dislikes with food mm-hmm. or preferences. I would always say to everyone, I'll eat anything, doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. as a part of that, that's still true. I'm not like overly, I, would, I don't like using the word fussy, but there are a lot of things that I'll try stuff. Yeah. But since I've got older and been doing the course with you as well, I've realized that actually, yeah, I have, I wouldn't say I dislike things. I, I definitely have preference. Uh-huh. And I, I never, and that's absolutely fine. And I never knew that growing up. So I think a lot of times around food, I just ate what was put in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I ate what everyone else was eating and never thought about what actually I want to eat yeah. or what I want to do. So that is a huge part, I think, of my experience with food, yeah. being autistic. And then socially, I think being out with people um, growing up and you know, just in my identity feeling extremely, extremely uncomfortable as, you know, socially I was presenting as a woman for 31, 32 years of my life. Yeah. So that in itself being out and socially, there are certain things like drinking and stuff. I'd be like, well, I better have a wine because generally women drink wine, which is ridiculous because that's not just true. You know, just things. Right, right. Like I better have a salad and, you know, because oh women gosh, should be yeah. eating salad because I've got to stay thin and look nice for right. men and all those sorts of things combined there's so much going on and I all those contribute to you know the eating disorder in yeah. in some way it all ties in together yeah. it's not just one thing that happened that led me to it it's a lot of different factors happening at the same time oh yeah yeah I mean the several factors happening at the same time <laughs> hits the nail on the head there and that's why I always just crack up and and joke with many of my clients when when they share their experiences of like being in therapy and, and the therapist asking like, okay, like what, what's the reason for your eating disorder? Like yeah. what's that deep dark hole of trauma that like, once we fill that hole, everything magically like is yeah. fixed. Right. And, and um I think I did a reels a while ago about like me holding my yoga mat, like a binocular, like where's the trauma? We need to find it. <laughs> and, and we always joke how like the most traumatizing thing at all of all was the invalidation we experienced throughout, you know, trying to get help. And mm. I, I can only imagine how difficult that must have been for you too, when you were also in, in marginalized communities. Cause I, as an autistic person who had an eating disorder, like the, the autism piece was often so invalidated. It was an eating disorder behavior. You're just being manipulative. You're just being mm. this. You, you're, you're too complex. And then if you add on, you know, also being part of the LGBTQ, is it A? I QIA. Yeah. QIA yeah. plus. <laughs> I'm, I'm still learning all the time. Um, like also that piece and there's these, all these, you know, societal expectations of like, you're a woman, you have to do this. Like, you can't be this. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's so much gaslighting going on, which, and I think also when you mentioned, um, about like that you have preferences and, and you have strong preferences, but, um, that you never felt like you could discover like what you wanted to eat and you kind of just ate because other people said, here Mm. is food, eat it. I think it's really important you bring this up because um it, it's been coming up a lot in, in coaching recently how we've kind of identified this as a form of masking, like feeling like yeah. your unique needs are almost not allowed to exist. Like you just yeah. need to 
if you 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 have food put in front of you, you expect it to eat it. You expect it to like be normal because that's what everyone does, kind of thing. Or it's or it's seen as being difficult. If I do ask for my preference, right. I'm being I you know because as a very high masking autistic person, I never want to feel like I'm putting someone out or being rude, mm-hmm. and I should just do what they want. Never put myself first. Yeah. But I and that's another part of it is being like actually I don't want to have that. Can I have something else? Yeah. And then it's like oh why can't you just have what everyone else is having? Yeah. Or you know why have you got to be difficult? Why have you got to be annoying? And like all those things that I've been told, it's like that's and then in the end it's sort of a shutdown. I just shut down and was like fine. I'll just do what everyone wants. I'll just yeah. be what everyone wants me to be, and it's, that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It's, it's the danger of the labels, and I think that's mm-hmm. why unmasking is so important because that word you just used, shut down. I think that is the result of you know constantly living in this state of fight or flight mode, constantly being in this state of hyper arousal and like high energy, and like obviously if you feel like you're you're not safe, like your needs are not valid, you constantly are, are trying to please others. It's fucking exhausting yeah, so you're like not gonna survive yeah, yeah. <laughs> like obviously you're gonna shut down because the body at some point is like i i can't sustain this anymore like i need to preserve my energy and yeah and i think that's what you know leads to autistic burnout is just being in this state of not being able to handle the world anymore because you've been in go 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 mode for so long mm-hmm. and not only is it is it not sustainable but like it leads to a life of misery and I mean, this is so cliche, but, you know, we are on this, like, I think we all question, like, what is our purpose on this planet <laughs> and stuff? Um, But I think I think a huge part of it is, you know, feeling like you can be present, feeling like you have meaning, feeling fulfilled, and you can never find meaning or fulfillment if you're constantly trying to fulfill the meaning of others, others yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I... I, I do want to talk a bit about like how what your experience was with my extreme hunger course and one-on-one coaching because that is ultimately how we met, I think. Um yeah. and I think that's why like this podcast is just so new and dear to my heart because I know we're talking as an interview, but I also feel like we're just talking as very, very dear friends. Um Yeah, we can talk because- a lot. <laughs> because the relationship, I mean, we have built over, you know, you doing my course and then one-on-one coaching it's just so unique and I know that we have built a friendship that's going to last an entire lifetime um so yeah kind of can you share with our listeners like um what your first I guess introduction was to me why you decided to um enroll in extremely hungry to completely satisfied and then eventually coaching with me yeah so I found one of your posts on just on Instagram I think Uh it just came up in my normal feed I wasn't following you at that point and I'm trying to remember what post it was. I think we talked about this before, actually. I was trying to find it and I can't remember which one, but it was some point uh, late last year. So it must have been October, maybe November time last year, Uh so 2022. Um, And the post that it was, I saw one, I was like, okay, that that sounds like, uh, that makes sense to me. Like Uh that makes sense to me. Uh, How you were talking about eating disorder is the first time I'd actually seen something that was like, oh, okay, this is explained really well. It's um, logical. It's, it makes yeah. sense. I'm not just being told to like write a food diary. Like that's ridiculous. Right. And so obviously then I went onto your profile and just pretty much binged everything that you've done. And I was like, wow, okay, this is like really resonating with me uh-huh. more than anything. And I think I sat on it probably for a couple of weeks, just going over everything and thinking about it and looked at 
your course and then I contacted you mm-hmm. and yeah we had that first phone call and yeah. after that I was like I have to do this because I at that point I had an eating disorder like I said I think I'd had distorted eating for a very long time but I'd had uh like let's say full-blown like eating disorder for yeah. about six years at that point and I'd been in different recovery things before and nothing had ever worked and this was I was thinking this has got to work I never thought that I I was made to believe that I would never be able to fully recover ever yeah. that's how I left recovery places before being, oh yeah same here yeah, I yeah, feel like every not, autistic person exactly, you're too yeah. complex too yeah. bad bye well, your life will always be like this it's like thanks and they're like off you go you're discharged and I I just didn't want to live like that anymore. I was like, I don't, I want to recover from this. And I feel like I can, but I don't know how. Like I've got to a point where I just don't know what to do anymore. I feel completely lost. Um, I knew I was also having top surgery in that Mm -hmm. January this year, 2023. And I, eight months post-op. Eight months post-op this week. And I, I didn't want to start like the rest of my life you know, being finding out who I am, like trans non-binary wise has been a huge impact as well. And I didn't want to take the eating disorder with me on the rest of my life. That's that's what the main thing was. I, was, I don't yeah. want to keep living like this. Like mm-hmm. it's not it's not fun and I'm bored. I'm actually bored of thinking of food now all yeah. the time. Um yeah, and all your content, just being able to sort of view the eating disorder through autistic eyes. Mm-hmm was something I'd never thought about ever because I didn't know that that was a possible way <laughs> like right, one, right. One traditional ways that I had been told I should be recovering um and I in previous recovery places you know there's an element of again masking very very heavily yeah. in recovery and I think for me um I there was a point where I got to where I knew they wanted me to sort of get better Mm-hmm. they were like at their end with what they could do with me so I sort of masked so heavily I was like okay well I can sort of pretend that I'm yeah fine and because I didn't want them I didn't want to tell them it wasn't working because I didn't want them right. to feel bad because it seemed to be working for everyone else around me so you, yeah so I yeah. was like well I'll just be like yeah you know what I feel fine and you tell them what you what yeah, you know they well, want to hear yeah, yeah and I know that's what they want to hear and that's what I'd done my whole life in every situation I just done what people wanted so it's I was like oh I'll just do this here as well then and then got discharged and it never went away um it actually I think got better a little bit after I left because it was actually worse while right. I was getting yeah. the help um but it never fully went away and until I did the course of you yeah I'm so yeah I'm so you know there's nothing honestly that makes me happier and I remember the the one there was this one message you sent me I'm I'm seeing if I can find it um will you I think you you may have posted it on your story or something but yeah. it was something like I never thought that I would fully recover from this and now to say I have is mm. unreal I think <laughs> that's what you yeah. said yeah. I mean I like I'm not even exaggerating that I I do I did have like tears coming out of my eyes and it's funny because I you like before I discovered I'm autistic people always said about me like Livia seems to be very non-emotional like I remember when I went to a movie with my uncle they were like at the end of the movie they were like all crying and I was just sitting there like 
is this it? Like, and <laughs> yeah. they, I just remember them being like, how are you so emotionless right now? So like when Bambi's I have mum been shot and you're like, right. oh, well. <laughs> so it's like when I have tears in my eyes, like there's seriously something going on there. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm just so grateful, you know, to have had, to have the opportunity to know you and to be part of your journey. Um, cause that, that is so fulfilling to me, but like even more so than that, like to, to say, to hear you say that you are fully recovered mm-hmm. it just it just makes me so incredibly happy for you because you as well as all of our listeners and anyone struggling with an eating disorder whether or not you're autistic or part of the lgbtqa plus community or anything like you mm-hmm. deserve to live a life of freedom um because yeah. like i said before like life is not long and and life is hard and there is so much noise around us and I mean, in in the end, I do believe the purpose of life is to just feel like you can be yourself um, and feel fulfilled. And something that because, you know, I love semantics and I'm always like looking for like deeper meaning in words. I loved that you said I discovered your Instagram profile and I like binged on all your content (laughs) (laughs) because I think, you know, the topic of extreme hunger in relationship to autism, I think, is really interesting because I talk a lot about extreme hunger and you know feeling like you can eat forever and feeling like that bottomless pit but at the same time those you know that that piece of being autistic was struggling with recognizing internal cues struggling recognizing hunger whether or not you need to go to the bathroom or not so can can you kind of share like what your experience with extreme hunger was like and as an autistic person and how my course extremely hungry to completely satisfied kind of helped guide you through that process Mm -hmm. because I mean, I know firsthand how challenging it is. That's why I obviously created the course. Um, But it's so different for everyone. So I'd love to hear um, your perspective and your experience. It's it's definitely a challenge. Um, It's not like it's it's one of those things. I always feel really weird when I say to people, I'm recovered. Because mm-hmm. um, I think people are like, I, or how can you be? And it, it's, I think just saying that makes it seem like it's an easy thing to do. And it, it's not an easy thing to do oh, at yeah. all. Like, Otherwise, everyone would be recovered. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really not. And I've been in extremely low helplessness, like places, like mm-hmm. the, the worst ever thinking I'm never going to survive this. Like, yeah, I've been in A&E and, yeah, you know, trigger warning, like, had a few suicide attempts because of mainly of the eating disorder yeah and and I've been in before I started the course of you I had actually been in therapy for about five years so I'd been doing like mental work anyway so I was sort of used to I think starting your I was used to sort of looking inwards at myself and doing uncomfortable yeah. work which I did think sort of helped helped yeah. me actually in a way it gave me like the foundations to look at yeah. really different stuff that yeah I think the, the definitely the hardest part was the yeah the like feeling like I could just eat and I'm never going to stop eating at this point Mm -hmm. and because I had to eat I had to eat everything to recover right (laughs) right right yeah and I still think you know like you've said I think that can come at like that's happened a few times in your life and I think a little bit now it probably is still happening but I embrace it that's the difference now I'm like oh my body wants this I'm just going to eat it and there's no judgment it just I'm just doing what my body wants but that was definitely the hardest part being sort of told that you're gonna have to eat lots your body's gonna change it's like what (laughs) yeah that's terrifying because that's 
not what I've been doing this like the last six years with the eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I haven't I've been controlling everything. And now I just have to go with everything. That seems crazy and eat <laughs> stuff that eat cheese again and eat loads of bread. Like I haven't I done remember that all your photos of like look at I haven't eaten cheese in all these years and look <laughs> yeah. at all the cheese I bought. And yeah. I was like a proud Dutch girl. Like <laughs> I taught you well. <laughs> yeah, was, I literally it was all my diet is that cheese and bread. Um but I love it. It's, it's so Dutch. Like that's so <laughs> Dutch. That's yes. so funny. Um yeah. <laughs> that was that was definitely the hardest part. I'm, especially like my body's changed. I had to put weight on. Yeah. You know. And that in itself comes with issues of feeling very dysphoric. Right. Um, as a you know, non-binary trans person, there are parts of my body, like anyone, you know, you don't have to be trans non-binary to be uncomfortable with parts of your yeah. body. It's just very normal. Um, but there are certain elements of my body that feel very womanly to me mm-hmm. and certain areas that hold more weight than others. So yeah. that in itself was another level of something I, I'm having to work through. Yeah. Um, you know, and I do say I'm recovered, but that's something I work at. It's not like I'm recovered, I forget about it, I move on. Like I still am very mindful of my mental health around food and I look out for like thoughts in my mind or if I'm feeling triggered by something, I'm like, okay, what's happening? And you know, it is something I will do forever, but I can say that I'm recovered. I don't want people to think I'm like, I'm recovered, I'm fine. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's it's a it's a hard, long process. Um but I just feel more at ease around food now. And the biggest thing I think I've noticed from it really is the amount of brain space I now have. I yes. hardly ever think about food. Like, and if I do, it's more of, oh, I might eat that later. Oh, that looks nice. Or it's not yeah. like, okay, I'm going to eat that. That person's eating that. I don't want them to eat yeah. that. How do I control them eating what they're eating? Even though oh I want to control what it's I'm exhausting. eating. It's <laughs> exhausting. It's just, yeah. or oh, I'm going out next week. What am I going to eat? Um, what is everyone else going to eat? Am I going to have to eat the same as them? What do I eat before I go? Do I not? You know, I just don't have any of that. Like I've got so much mental space. It's amazing to think how much time and energy I put into thinking about food. Yeah. It's it's insane to me. It seems absolutely so far removed from how I am now. Right. Yeah. That I just can't even begin to imagine ever being like that again. And it's so hard to explain to someone because I'm still like trying to obviously work it all out. And but it is it's great. So it's a type of freedom that's come from doing your course for sure. I feel like I've got control of my life back in a way that I can function, not in a I must control everything sort of way. Do you think about food all the time? Perhaps you constantly look at what others are eating and compare your intake to theirs. Or maybe you know that what you're experiencing is called mental hunger, except you don't feel that your mental hunger is valid. If so, you are not alone, my friend. For years, I was consumed by food thoughts. My entire life revolved around when, what, where, and how I was going to eat. I secretly wanted others to eat more so that I felt I could eat more and I would equally become upset when others ate less because I believed I would then have to eat less too. If I had any appointments or events that involved food, I would spend days, if not weeks, ruminating on how I would quote-unquote balance my intake and create a buffer to ensure I didn't go over my planned amounts. 
If you resonate with any of that, I don't think I have to tell you that thinking about food 24-7 is absolutely exhausting. Not only does it steal your precious brain space, but being obsessed with food steals your life away. If you want to gain your life back, or rather, discover a new one so you can finally experience the peace and mental calm that comes with being fully recovered, my course, Extremely Hungry to Completely Satisfied, is here to help. Extremely Hungry to Completely Satisfied is a self-paced virtual online program that guides you through every step you need to take to go from being obsessed with food to living a life of freedom. It contains eight modules that dive deep into topics including how to recognize different types of hunger, how to differentiate mental hunger from emotional eating, how you should eat to stop binging, tips for coping with weight gain, information on weight overshoot and when you'll reach your natural set point weight, how to heal digestive issues, what it takes to balance your hormones, and so much more. Everything I've ever been asked about overcoming extreme hunger, you'll find it in my course. Enroll in Extremely Hungry to Completely Satisfied today by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash course. So that's livelabelfree.com forward slash course. I cannot wait for you to embark on your journey to freedom. And now let's get back to today's episode. I there's so much to unpack here, like all the brain space that's been freed up. We're like going to dive right in. No, but I mean, like you said, there's no way of explaining it to someone who hasn't been through it because I'm just yeah. like nodding my head like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, because I I experienced it. Right. And that's kind of I the whole idea of like turning my mess into my message Um, mm-hmm. and just everything you just said about you know i'm recovered and i continue to be mindful um of you use one word use the word i i embrace it now um like i embrace the change and i embrace that i'm not gonna have everything figured out and Mm -hmm. i kind of am open to you know discovering more about myself all the time i think that is the beauty of you know being recovered is that the world opens up in a way where you have space for that not only brain space but just like even just space in the metaphysical sense like there's space beyond thinking about food and what you're going to eat next to actually discover and accept and change and you know basically i don't want to i feel like mold is not the right word but like mold your life to how Mm. you want to live um and you cannot do that if 99% of your thoughts are about what you're going to eat, how you're going to eat, when you're going to eat, how you're going to restrict, how you're going to burn it off. It's yeah. like, I mean, if masking is exhausting, like try adding like layers and layers of like food obsession onto that. It's like, I, I understand like the suicidal ideation in, in mm. that sense a lot. Cause like, there's honestly no point in living if you're basically spending all your time stuck mm. in your head having your life revolve around things that are the opposite of life. <laughs> there's just um, no, there's no escape from it. And that's right. how I felt. I think, you know, I, I was masking a lot. I was, you know, thinking about food all the time. I was addicted to sport um, yeah. as well. And, you know, I had massive body dysmorphia. I didn't really know that I was trans non-binary when my eating disorder was at its worst. I just come out of a really abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, there was so much going on and that's like, the main things that were going around in my head all the time. And it, I was, I was completely lost. Like I, 
I read my journals from that time and I don't recognize the person who's writing anything. I was, there are moments, there are days that are just out of my memory and how I was treating my family, you know, because that's what happens with when you have an eating disorder, it's very shameful and you hide it and it takes over your life and that affects everything that affects every part of your life. And that's what happened to me. And, you know, there was one point my family got together and were like, do we need to get them sectioned? Like, what do, what do we do? Yeah. Because they were so worried. And I was worried for myself as well. You know, I was becoming a danger to maybe others and me. Mm-hmm. And that's because I was constantly thinking about all these things and masking and trying to be perfect for everyone. And it, you just, yeah, it's not sustainable. You cannot sustain that. It's, yeah, yeah it gets to a breaking point for sure. Well, I am just like, your story and your entire experience and all the hardships you faced and then being where you are now. And like I said before, being able to not only witness that, but be a part of guiding you to where you are now. Just, I mean, I'm so incredibly grateful and so beyond proud of you. Um, Like Thank seriously, you. Lex, I, 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 I've told you this a million times, but I cannot <laughs> wait to like give you a hug in real life. Yes. Um, because it's like, we need to. Um, but yeah, so thank you for saying all that. Um, I'm, I'm sure that everything you just showed is so, so incredibly valuable to everyone listening. Um, and you mentioned, you know, that, that extreme hunger piece being like one of the biggest challenges in, in your recovery. Um, I'm curious, what challenges have you faced besides that in navigating the society and recovery and your own identity as a person who does, you know, belong to multiple marginalized communities? Like what other challenges have, have come up? There was a lot, I think, in, in trying to access like recovery help. Yeah. For one, like before I started working with you. I think one of the like the things that I found a lot was because from quite a young age I've had sort of mental health problems and that's been on my records and yeah. anytime I tried to access any help everything from my past was sort of used against me as if I as if I didn't know what was going on with me or you know and yeah, yeah. at some points I Yeah didn't. you're the patient yeah. they say like yeah. we know best we're the professionals Yeah we know yeah. all about your life even though we've just met you right. um, and <laughs> You know, there were moments where I was really confused, but deep down I knew what I needed, you know, for mm-hmm. help. Um, and I think that's, yeah, that's definitely something that makes me very angry um, mm-hmm. is things in my past being used against me. And that happens quite a lot in trying to access recovery. And I always felt that, yeah, yeah, people thought I never knew myself or didn't believe me, didn't think things yeah. were that serious. The gaslighting, um, right? <laughs> the gaslighting, yeah, yeah. And then me masking in those situations as well. Yeah. And the pressure of performing and being perfect and having to live up to people's expectations of me again, all those things that come in and that's societal as well. I think, you know, mm-hmm. being socialized as a girl and a woman up yeah. until like my early thirties, there are societal things, pressures that women have that, you yeah. know, men don't. And I felt very much that pressure. And yeah. I felt I was, I think what made me feel so uncomfortable was I, I was trying so hard to be a woman and do the things that people wanted from me. Yeah. And I couldn't do it. I was failing. And then I felt bad because I was like, why can't I do this? Why can't I just be like all the other women around, like girls? Why can't I do that? Yeah. And there's a huge reason why, because I'm not, <laughs> I don't <laughs> right. identify as that. And I right. identify as non-binary and trans. And I think all those things combined in trying to navigate society and trying to navigate recovery, it, it made it really, really difficult, uh, especially 
trying to access help. I mean, the first time, uh, so I live in the UK, so it's NHS. Um, So the first time we tried to get help, um, I was told that I wasn't thin enough. Um, Yeah, (laughs) you can't have an eating disorder because you're not the stereotypical thin white female that looks in the mirror and she's an overweight person. Your BMI is great. Um, And because I was doing sport at that time, I was doing triathlon. So they were like, well, you're really fit and healthy. And I was like, oh, well, maybe it's all in my head, you know, and the gaslighting. And then I believe that maybe it's just me creating this problem. Maybe there's something fundamentally wrong with me because I can't be a woman. I can't be thin enough. I can't make men happy. I can't make my family happy. What am I? I can't hold a job down. What am I doing wrong? Everything I try to do fails. Why is that? Why can't I just eat like everybody else? Mm -hmm. Why can't I just eat? You know, there's like, there's so many things. And then being told I wasn't thin enough made me obviously want to get yeah. more thin. Right. Um, Cause you need to validate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, now I need to never eat ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a moment of that around that time where I think I just had no memory, but my mum was obviously trying to still get me help. And eventually I got into somewhere. I wasn't an inpatient. It mm-hmm. was an appointment. I used to go twice a week, um, to start with. And then it was once a week. But the help was not help. It really was. Yeah. It was very it made much. Made it worse. Yeah. It made it a lot worse. Yeah. I, I got really, really bad during that time. I think I was going there for maybe a year and a half. And it was pretty much, how are, your, what, how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Tell us how you feel when you eat food. Well, as an autistic person, I can't process my emotions all the time like I can't tell you how I feel in every moment because it takes me time to process everything so I make stuff up I'd be like well I feel anxious when I'm going to eat because that's what most people feel like yeah Um, so I just say things that I thought they want to hear obviously and then it was just keep a food diary which just made everything worse like I didn't want to oh my gosh yeah I didn't want to have to write down every day what I was eating it's like this is making it worse so I upped my sport intake um you know hope yeah (laughs) yeah I was I had a personal trainer I was walking probably 20 miles a day I was cycling 100 miles a week I was doing workouts every day I was swimming I was running like and not and not eating I did a triathlon once and I hadn't eaten for like two days. Yeah, I remember like, talking about that. Like, I was like, I was just doing so much to get as thin as possible because I wanted at one point to be admitted and be an inpatient because... Yeah, to like, in, like indeed, like prove, like, am I sick enough now? Yeah, yeah, because I wanted to have the pressure sort of... I just wanted someone to like take it off me for a little bit. I knew I needed to do the work to get better. I knew no one was going to make it better for me yeah but at one point I was practically begging them and screaming and crying in the unit I'm like you have to have me stay here I I need help if you let me go home I'm not going to survive and they were like off you go and yeah just we don't even care yeah yeah they they didn't care and they just wanted to like discharge me and once I sort of realized that I was like fine if I just say what they want to say they'll discharge me and they can I can be a statistic and be like oh look we helped a woman of this age who typically hasn't eaten so well well we we recovered uh, they got recovered and now they've discharged and we ticked them off the list um and I think yeah there was no they knew at that point that I was autistic I'd been this is very early 30s mm-hmm. so maybe I was 31 32 so at that point I had my autism diagnosis and so they knew and there was no talk ever of autism and eating disorders it was very much 
yeah. very basic stuff. There's and, no yeah. aware- like there's no awareness. No it's like awareness. either you're autistic or you have an eating disorder, but both. Oh no, 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 we're not going yeah. there. And they yeah. couldn't work out like why I would eat just anything. They were like, Well, aren't you fussy? Don't <laughs> you know, I do yeah. you not have it. And I was like, Well, no, I'll eat anything. I'm not I will literally if you put food in front of me, I'll eat it. And they couldn't understand that. And then I was like, Oh, maybe that's a problem. Should I start being like fussy is how they right. call it. Yeah. And so there's yeah, there is so much society you know, in society as well of having to be a thin woman. <laughs> that's another element. I yeah. I was very much felt that in a sporting world as well. Mm-hmm. Be very, very thin and fit and meet the expectations of the people I was doing sport with around me, you know, and that's another side of it as well. Just all those factors again there's just so much going on <laughs> yeah so much going on like yeah, yeah the, the way I describe it is just like societal clutter like societal yeah. noise like all these expectations that you need to show up this way you should do that you shouldn't do that oh that's unhealthy oh but if you do this workout and eat in that way you're healthy but I'm like how are we defining health if like mentally your brain is like a battlefield against yourself i'm like that is not health like that is the definition of like not being healthy um but yeah i mean there's so much that needs to change about (laughs) society from you know being more inclusive and just not using like bmi anymore and all these recommendations and like as you read in my book rainbow girl like literally teaching 11 year old children like that if you eat sugar you're gonna get diabetes i'm like what the actual fuck like i and like obviously my literal autistic mind was like oh my god like i can never never (laughs) eat like a sugar cube ever again um and yeah i'm actually i really want to like this is kind of off topic but like give like talks at schools about like educating teachers because i think you know teachers play such a a critical role in the development of children and if at such like if they don't know like how is anyone how are they supposed to you know pass it on um but yeah i mean the list is endless of course of what needs to change in the world Mm. aside from eating disorders and autism and lgbtq and and just wars and politics and I mean <laughs> everything um but but what do you believe are like the top I guess few points of what what needs to change in society to be more inclusive and supportive of individuals who are trans autistic and experiencing eating disorders I, I know that's a mouthful but I feel like <laughs> if there's any expert you know I, I I believe so in the power of lived experience and mm. we need to listen and learn from people with lived experience. So if there's any expert that can can tell our audience about this, you are one of them. So well, take I it away. Think, <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert. I mean, I I definitely, I think just I can only obviously talk about my own experience. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a really hard one. I often think about this, like the, let's say the triangle, the intersection between being in the LGBT community, being autistic, you know, being non-binary trans, like all those things. And obviously there's there's a lot of crossover and having an eating disorder as well. And I think I sometimes often feel left out of a lot of conversations around autism because obviously there's a lot of language and being saying, you know, these are traits in girls and women, these are traits in boys and boys and men. And it's like, okay, well, I, and I'm, not taking anything away by saying you know we should stop using that because I do think it's very important to 
obviously shout more about autism is in women because for mm-hmm. so long, you know, I went 30 years without being diagnosed because no one noticed growing up. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, that is important, but also at the same, you know, that's, it probably goes into a very deeper conversation this bit, but, yeah. you know, we also have to look at then if we're taking, we're not necessarily taking away the language of boys and girls because I will see traits, but like, these are traits in boys. I'm like, well, I had those autistic yeah. traits. Yeah, you know, even, I, even I, the like, yeah, even the like, is, I saw a post a while ago that was, is anorexia the female manifestation of yeah. autism? I'm like, yeah. this is the most stigmatizing thing I have ever seen. It's in my awful. Life. I know. It's, yeah. And it, yeah, I think up to a point that it is good to have like language and stuff like that, obviously. But for me, I do feel left out as a non-binary person because mm-hmm. I don't feel included in, you know, in the statistics as well. You know, we're yeah. looking at, you know, you've done stuff on this before. I don't um, like statistics for that very reason. It's because, like, just white women, you know, and there's not yeah. different marginalized groups. There's not And even, yeah, yeah, even what you mentioned about like the NHS saying, oh, women recovered. I'm like, that's like a wrong statistic because yeah. you're not a woman. So how yeah. can you... How can you be written off as woman recovered? Like you don't exist. Yeah, <laughs> like that statistic literally that. is fake. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's just. I mean, like you said, this is like a rabbit hole that we could do a whole another topic yeah. on. And it's you're gonna have to same. come on again. Like I already know <laughs> and, that now. And it's a. I think it's a societal thing as well. We have to look at. You know, obviously, I was I was socialized and brought up as a girl and a woman, so I had a lot of the things put onto me, the pressures, the expectations, the differences. Um, and the roles I was assigned growing up as a, a girl, you know, society, societally, we have to look at that. That's why there are differences when mm-hmm. we say, oh, this is autism in girls, this is autism in boys. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, it starts when we're younger. We have to take away the pressures of completely differentiating, uh, saying there's differences between boys and girls. Mm-hmm. There's differences in people for sure. Like yeah. kids have different personalities. Can't we just say that and just treat everyone? as the individual that they are and obviously there's going to be common things that some people have you know if you're this you might you're more likely to have this blah 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 what you know that's yeah. fine but it's I mean I don't have an answer of how that's going to work I think just over mm-hmm. time cult- society and cultures will just have more understanding of things but I think if we can try and use different language like if I hadn't if I'd been able to grow up knowing that being trans non-binary was an option and not mm-hmm. having the pressures and societal pressures of being a girl like oh yeah. you can't play with the boys or you know I wanted to do woodwork at school and I wasn't allowed because that was just for the boys uh-huh. that was in the, that was in the like the 90s early that was actually the early 2000s that was not that long ago mm-hmm. so I had to do cooking or textiles and I oh, cooking like yeah um, <laughs> yeah I, I don't really like cooking I try and do things really simple and I can't sew anything at all like, I can't do anything like that I find it infuriating that there's not a yeah. quick enough result for me I wanted to work with wood and like carve things and yeah. make, that's much more fun to me I'm using my hands and stuff um and you know if I hadn't had all those roles put on me and felt like oh why can't I do that and because I started realizing obviously for me I was there's differences between boys and girls yeah and I always wanted to be more like a boy because they seem to have more freedom (laughs) and they could just do what they wanted and I think that is a deeper this obviously is a much deeper conversation but I think we need to take away just that language and just say you know kids who have autism or kids who are neurodivergent um 
and you know just have different language so everyone can feel more included yeah and like you know as I said I think it's fine to say this is in girls this is in boys but it can be very restricting and again when it comes to doing statistics and stuff if we're just categorizing things like that um you know and then you have to look even deeper at who's got access to that type of help who's got access to eating disorder recovery help is it just you know, are you paying privately for that because you've got the money to do? I mean, if I had the money to do that, I probably would have done that, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I had to yeah. wait and scramble around for the NHS, which was just rubbish. And, you know, that's why the statistics don't work because you're not getting a broad view of everyone. And there are a lot of people out there who don't have access to help yeah. who in their culture or their society, whatever, they can't ask for help. It seemed really shameful. There's so many factors that contribute. There's so much. Yeah, there's so much shame, especially around. I mean, especially around everything. Um, mm. But I mean, when you said like you weren't thin enough, like the first thought that pops in my head is that label atypical anorexia. Like mm. an, another, like again, we we go into the labels that are just endless of of, of problems because oh, atypical anorexia. I have eight. Well, then I don't yeah. have anorexia. Well, then clearly, like I don't have an eating disorder because I'm atypical. Um, yep. And then people say like statistically, it's more atypical anorexia is more prevalent. But I'm like. Statistically, how? Because the people exactly. showing up with atypical anorexia are not even being part of these statistics because they're, mm. half the time they're written off as not even having an eating disorder. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, like you said, we, we could go on and on about all the problems. Um, but <laughs> I think one, one, one thing that always I, I feel like would make a huge difference is if, if people were just more open-minded and yeah. more willing to listen and not already decide before you even walk into the door, I'm the professional. I know best. I know everything. Anything you say that clashes with my opinion, oh, must be too complex, must be hopeless. Yeah. Um, yeah. Complex. I, I just found that funny because your name is Lex. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, like... like you said, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the inclusive language is just so so important too because it it not only does it like break the shame around showing up as someone who does not fit a specific label or, or mold but it, it just provides more compassion and more openness mm. and allowing that person to feel validated because if, if you're coming in as a non-binary person or you know someone who does not identify as a woman and immediately they're like Oh, you're a female. You, the moment you walk in that door, you're like, okay, they don't see me for who I am. Yeah. Um, and then there's expectations as well. Like, yeah. oh, well, if I, I think you're a woman, so you should be like this. You should do this. You yeah. should be like this. And then I pick up on that. So I'm like, oh, I better do that then. Right, and then that leads, and and then, then that leads to more masking. And then that leads to more exhaustion and yeah, more coping, exactly. unhealthy yeah. coping mechanisms. And on and on. it's a spiral. So. Yes. Um, well, we just touched on so, so much. I feel like, like, like you said, we could talk for hours and hours. <laughs> um, but what, where can people find you, first of all? Um, if, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, because I'm sure that, you know, you have such a unique story. And at the same time, I'm sure that it's very universal among many people. Um, and, and I truly believe that connection and you know getting in touch with people that understand you and, and have been where you are that is the magic like that's how we connected um yeah. so where can people find you and um also what what are kind of your last words of wisdom for everyone Ooh. listening <laughs> um so you can find me on instagram at greenhouse lex 
Um, it started off as a plant account where I was yeah, talking about I'm my like mental greenhouse. health. Because I'm like greenhouse. I never even thought yeah, about it. because I got a lot of house plants. <laughs> um, and yeah, it started off as that just talk about my mental health and now it's sort of branched out into like um, LGBT stuff and autism related things. And I'm, you know, I'm always very open. If anyone ever wants to message me about anything, I'm, I'm pretty much an open book. So I've got nothing to hide. So yeah, um, you can find me there. And last words, I think, oh yeah, this is hard, isn't it? To like try and pass on wisdom because I'll, I'll think of something later tonight. You, and like, yeah. oh, that would have been really good. Um, and you've already passed on so much wisdom <laughs> in the past hour. <laughs> I think it, it's, it is, it's hard. And when I think back to my worst points in life, where I was, I was giving up, I was ready to give up and I felt completely hopeless. And I know it sounds really cheesy, but life can get better. Mm-hmm. It can. And it's going to be fucking difficult though. Yeah. And it is going to be hard, but there are people who have been through it and who can stand next to you while you go through it. They can't help you through it. They can't make you better. You have mm-hmm. to do it yourself, but people can be next to you while you do it and yeah. support you in ways that you need and that is out there um and I think that's the thing is knowing that you're not you aren't alone that you are not yeah. alone and even I feel very lonely I still do sometimes and yeah me too <laughs> yeah yeah you, you have to remember there are you know there are people out there and everyone is going through something and that doesn't take away what's going on in your life but yeah even in your very worst bits you can recover and yeah. It, it is hard work. I'm never going to lie to anyone and say it's not, it's not easy. Like it's not, but it's worth it. It is yeah. worth it on the other end. And it doesn't feel like that when you're going through it. But mm-hmm. once you get there, you're like, wow, I, I'm actually living. Like I'm living a life that has purpose in some way mm-hmm. now. And then, you know, I'm a human. I have struggles every day. I was crying yeah. yesterday, my eyes out. So I'm fine. Like you can still be normal, uh, not normal, but like that's a weird word. Your, your own version of but, you. Yeah, your yeah. own version of you, your own version of your normal. And, you know, have a life that is recovered and still be human and have days where you feel crap and weeks where you feel crap. And But you'll have more freedom around it. Yeah, oh. I think just reach out to anyone you feel comfortable to do that with. Even if they can't help you, there is places to get help for sure. And you're one yeah. of them. Yeah. I'm so grateful mm-hmm. to have met you. But honestly, that first phone call we had, I was like, yep, I'm doing this. This is it now. Like we just clicked straight away. I remember um, that so yeah, well. Yeah. I know. And I was just like, I know this is, I knew it was going to work. I remember telling my mum, because obviously I tried lots of things before and. Yeah she I think probably had some hesitation you know because I've tried lots of things in the past yeah. like why would this work why what's yeah. the difference um yeah, yeah. and it, it was it's so worth it it's so 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 been worth it to feel like I've got my life back you know and there's still lots of struggles but I've got such a huge part of my life back and yeah it was so worth it and I'm so grateful for you sharing your story and creating the course and helping all these people because I would still be doing the same stuff I was doing before, you know, without a doubt, I would yeah. be. And to not have that life anymore to me seems wild. <laughs> like it's, and it's only been six, seven months, you know, since I started yeah. doing the course of you. And that's not that long, but I put a lot of work in. I really committed to yes. it. You have to commit to your recovery. Like, well, you, yeah, yes. you put the work in and you committed because I mean, yes. although I am just, 
uh, speechless about <laughs> everything you just said. I feel like I'm standing on a podium and you're just like flowing me in compliments, <laughs> which of course is wonderful. You. <laughs> um, you did everything. Like the only reason that you are recovered and that you are where you are now was because you were willing to show up and you said, I'm going to put in the work and I'm mm. going to do whatever it takes to achieve this life that I want to live because that really cliche quote, like nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes, yeah. And you decided to change. And of course, I was there and and I was your guide and I helped you, but you showed up every Mm. single time. You said, I'm committed, I'm going to do this. And this is fucking hard. And I really want to quit sometimes, but I'm not quitting because I'm going to keep reminding myself of Mm. why I started. My life before this was miserable. Um, And I think that, that having that like hope that there's always there's always you can always kind of go back to how you were living but you can never discover Mm. what's out there if you don't if you don't give it a chance um i think that can be the hardest trust fall but as you said like it's so so worth it because you're gonna you're gonna take that trust fall and you're gonna realize oh wow this life is actually a lot better (laughs) um and i think there's uh there is a point in recovery where you have to be ready to recover as well uh-huh, that's a, yeah. like there you know if I tried to do this two three years ago it wouldn't have worked I don't right, think it, right. I, it wouldn't because yeah. I had so many other things going on in my life so yeah I think you you have to you'll know in yourself when you're really ready to commit to it but you have to stay committed to it and it is difficult and I think yeah. you'll know that if anyone's trying to you know, think and actually I don't want to live like this anymore it will just happen for you and you'll be like I'm doing it now I'm just doing it yeah just just do it yeah because you'll love it on the other side yeah I love I love what you just said about like you're gonna feel when you're ready because I think this Mm. is a a great quote to wrap up with that um that I always live by because I know that especially us autistic people perfectionists people pleasers we can get Mm. really twisted up in our head like all of the time um but a quote that I live by now is your mind thinks, but your heart knows. Mm. Um, I just love that quote so much because I think it completely covers like everything we talked about today. Like we, we may feel this mental pressure to show up a certain way or be a certain way that we need to, you know, mask. But I think deep down when we give ourselves permission to listen to our heart, basically or that weird muscle that everyone says contains mm-hmm. emotions um or like listen to a gut or soul or whatever it is um i think when you give yourself unconditional permission for that voice to be there and to listen to that like it mm-hmm. will guide you to where you need to be um yeah, so yeah that's kind of the the wrapping up thank you so much lex for coming on the podcast for giving us your valuable time um to provide value to our listeners i'm so so excited for everyone to listen to this um and and we're just gonna have to do another interview soon um, because i feel like there's so much more value to give all right thank you everyone for listening um and we i will chat with you in the next episode (laughs) bye-bye for now just one foot in front of the other and you'll see podcast has been recorded by your host live this podcast has been edited by my small but mighty live label free team and the beautiful song one foot in front of the other that you were now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom louise alexandra 
I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.